This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with sports lecturer and coach Stuart Wilkinson. He discusses his strategies in creating team cultures and how this ends in the group managing itself, his experience as a practitioner and how his practices have changed since the late 80s, as well as the importance of producing leaders within his context. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So Stuart, listen, really appreciate you jumping on. How are things in your world? Are you all good? A oh, world? Are you all good? Sorry. Yeah, good. We've just started pre-season training at Salford Red Devils. So um, we had a trial, a walking trial a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're still fortunate to have maybe about 14 players from last season that's been kept on. Um, and then the rest have moved on to other professional contracts into first team. So um, we were looking for 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 any talents. We had an open trial. Um, from there, we've you know we've we've signed some junior internationals, so of a really good standard. So I mean, it's a, you know they won't make an immediate impact because they are young, um, and they need a couple of years to develop further. Uh, but you know, in terms of you know professional coaching, um, yeah, up and running again. And I've missed it, even though I can't do much because of the state of my knee at the moment. That's always good. And then I've just gone back to work after a full knee replacement. So I've missed a big chunk of the, the start of the semester. So I'm just in the process of developing relationships and um, reacquainting myself with, that, with what I need to be able to do and, and uh, constantly be reminding them forgetting things. My colleagues are calling me Rip Van Winkle at the moment because uh, I've been off for that long. So yeah, it's just nice to be about be back around people again. Uh, talking about coach, coaching and sport and, and then delivering it of an evening while you know part-time role as a coach. Perfect. So I think you've alluded to a couple of bits there in terms of what your roles are. Do you just want to explain to people, I guess, yeah, what you, what it is you do and I guess give an executive summary of how you've got there, if you like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah so, um, so, you know, interesting one really, I suppose. If I, if I give you a bit, bit of a blast of my journey here, I was a professional player, um, but for different reasons, I decided to, to 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 move into coaching. I mean, when I was a professional player, it was always the the coach would say, "Stuart, would you look after them? Stuart, can you do the warm up? Stuart, can you do this?" And so, to all the back end of my professional career, I, I was, you know, deeply engaged with in coaching conversations and about player development and things like that. So, what I really decided to do, I, I went to a local club and started at right at the very bottom because I didn't know children or anything. So, you know, I started with a with an under-12s community team and um, made a mess of it from there on in. And uh, But it was a safe place to do and to learn, learn about coaching. Um, there was vocational coaches, but as we mentioned earlier, just before we opened up, there was no there was no resources or information. Uh, in those days, there was one, one degree, which was a PE degree, and um, there wasn't many books written. Um, and the, you know, the word pedagogy didn't exist. So, you know, uh, it was very limited resources back then when I first started coaching. But I knew I couldn't do it on my own. I knew I needed a team around me. Um, and so I knew a really good PE teacher and I had a couple of colleagues that were helping me. And before, you know, we were doing a good job and giving these kids a great experience. And from there, as I got qualified, I started to 
you know, uh, ambition got a grip and I started to, to move through the pathways and um, ended up working on a regional academy and then the national academies, uh, national pathways. And, and from there, I, I got I got an opportunity to work with um, Great Britain Academy at the time. So, and like that was overnight, Michael. That was, you know, over a four or five year period where I started to develop my, my basic craft and my way of doing things that attracted a lot of interest from the coaching staff on the national pathways, you know, games-based practices and things like that. I was I was brought up on drills and squares and I hated it. Um, and then the PE teacher who was a good friend with, you know, opened up a new world that there's, there's a huge link between learning and fun. Best place to do that is games. And so that was the way I went forward and it certainly helped my career um, to become a fully professional coach. When I got in, on the coaching staff at Great Britain Academy, I was then head-hunted by Leeds Rhinos, which is a huge Super League club, and I spent nearly 12 years with Leeds Rhinos, developing the youth system and, and eventually helping coaching the first team. And, um, and From there, I, I was head-hunted by Wigan Warriors, where I spent some time, and, and then I went to work for the national governing body, that was the Rugby Football League, and that's where I started to work internationally, Michael. I coached England schoolboys. Um, and by that time, I'd already coached 15 years, so it wasn't an overnight success. Um, and then I went on to coaching the academy myself. Um, and then I coached the four Welsh national team in the European nations and we won the European nations with Wales. Um, and then I went back to England and Great Britain, the British Lions, the full British Lions, and as, as, as an assistant coach. And then I started to, my reputation grew, I started to work internationally, I became an, an elite coach mentor for the French Federation. Um, and then I eventually coach Russia in the World Cup, and I do. I just finished coaching the Serbian national team now at the moment. So, and then I'm back in professional sport again on a, a part time basis with, with Salford Red Devils. But it, that, that that was that journey wasn't linear, Michael. And it, you know, I've been coaching since the late 80s, and uh, so you can actually see n nothing was overnight. And while I've met a lot of good people who've helped me, I've all, also met a lot. A lot of other people that, that, that didn't want me to be successful and sabotaged it for whatever reason. So, you know, the, it's not an easy journey, and, and people do things in particular ways uh, that inspires you to do even better. And, and in that time, of course, particularly when I was at Leeds, I did a, I did a degree at Leeds Leeds Carnegie. It was at the time. Um, and then following that, I did a, a teaching degree, um, and then I've done a master's in uh, coaching practice. And I've just finished my PhD in um, high performance leadership. Um, so, you know, the phrase walk the walk and talk the talk has been built up since the late 80s when I first took my, my first level one coaching course from under 12s to all that. And, and I suppose the different type of arch archetypes I've met on the way, the good and the bad guys have all helped me in different ways. I think what it will demonstrate for everyone listening is a really nice blend of, you know, some practical examples or practical base of, of working and what that looks like when you put it in front of children or, or full grown adults or that, but equally, you know, up to date uh, academic theory and whatnot as well. So I'm going to go for a very um, coach development type question to begin with, because it's one that you get quite a lot, which is what is your philosophy of coaching if if you know someone said to you now what what do you believe in what is that and i guess the second question off the back of that is has that changed from when you first started coaching in the late 80s yeah so so you know regards to 
the coaching itself, not not co- not developing coaches. And I suppose it could be the same. You know, it's a, it's, it's developing self determined independent thinkers. Now that's full of tenants, and and it, it could be a rabbit hole, Michael. You know, because it is. You know, and uh, and and do we live that? I'm pretty close to it at different times in my life. Um, what it looked like early on? No, it was the A to Z of of, of the sport. <laughs> uh, which is really just a job description, uh, but we had to start somewhere. But I suppose I've never lost sight of. Um, if you go back to when, if if you like, what influenced that would be would be an interesting one for you, Michael. And, and a good place to start today is the past, as I've done before. So when I first started to play sport, there was no football association and there was no rugby association. Sport was governance came from the church. Church owned sport in the 60s and 70s. So if you wanted to see sport or, or play sport outside school, you had to go to a youth club. Youth clubs were attached to the church. Okay, and that's where you played five-a-side, basketball, table tennis. You danced, you did everything at a local youth club. That's where I first saw judo, what these guys doing in white suits. And I wanted to be a professional footballer. So, But schools were really good in those days as well because you had a full curriculum of sport. All right, you played, you know, 12, 14 soccer matches this season and then there'd be a rugby section as well and you know so schools did a good job of 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 fixtures because i don't think the, the football association and i don't think junior mini rugby started till the late 70s early 80s and, and i was a professional by then um, so going back to that of course so those 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 being a good person and those real values all right and and then the consistency when you're at your worst, be your best, and when your hardest hit, um, certainly influenced me as a player, and definitely me when I'm developing young people and young players. Um, and I've got so many, so many good stories where I've had to have a good moral compass and um, and do the right thing by these young people. While at the same time, probably, you know, fighting off some of the nasties and some of the haters and everything else that I want you to trip up as well. So, you know, having a good moral compass is is a cornerstone of good youth coaching. Um, And yes, it certainly influenced how me, you know, know, my biographical stance on my philosophy is established after all these years. And and yeah, it's changed. It's changed, you know, starting coaching in the late 80s when there wasn't much around and to what it looks like today, there's been loads and loads of things have allowed me to start to articulate that more accurately. Um, and then display this in my, in my behaviors, if you like, as a coach. And again, it just wasn't an overnight thing, Michael. So I guess leaning on that, then you've mentioned around that um, philosophy, I guess, of being a good holistic person as, as well as a good player or whatever that looks like. How do you make that practical for players within your environment? Because um, I guess one easy thing is to see on a company wall, you go in and see it branded all over a wall or something like that. These are our values. But actually getting those to be lived and breathed by the people that are there is what's most important. Similarly, in a coaching situation, it's really easy to come in day one and say, well, this is what we're going to be and then never revisit this again for a season and then do it again the following year. So for you, how have you gone around skillfully, I guess, embedding that into your practice? And have you got any examples of where you've done that really successfully or really poorly? You know, like when you do, when you're working with young players and youth players, and like at the moment, I'm a mixture of, 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 of adults and senior, senior players, they provide you with endless opportunities. 
endless opportunities. There's no need to display it anywhere. They will give you from not, you know, I looked over the other day when one of my assistant coaches were carrying the poles back to the, um, I mean, a bag full of cones and it was overloaded going back to the container with the equipment and I just stopped and they were just having some malarkey before the floodlights went off. Stop, stop everybody. All right. What the hell's going on here? Why is that happening? Don't come, don't come on this field. If again, if you unless you come off this field with something in your hand. All right. So while that's not, here's the badge. It's like tiny little baby steps all the time. Okay. And you just constantly remind them. And then, then, then your quality assure that with, with, uh, with punishment. Okay. So, um, one of my senior players uh, has come up with an idea to to roll the dice, and each right time there's a mistake, you, you've got to roll the dice, and each each number on the dice is a price price to pay. But we don't build them to start with; they'll provide those with opportunities all the time. So there's not labels or badges anywhere, and we're really patient with our approach. The re and again, this links back to research. If you want it to be able to do that, yeah, if it's current with young people, it stays. So that means if it's an immediate intervention, Michael, all right, it stays. That becomes um, a regulation tool that they can attach to. Okay, so they'll just appear and we just keep doing that. And um, so I don't, I don't do codes of conduct. We don't do that anymore. The, the the cultural architects will develop these ways themselves from their own slip ups and messes that they do. And if not. I will booby trap it a little bit and I will get some of the senior players to become cultural assassins and and, and mess things up until um, they start to get regulated by the other groups. What did you do that for? We've got a punishment now. Turn the lights off. Behind you, shut the door. All right? Enter, enter the field by one way. All the tiny things start to come along till it builds up to quite a good, good um, working environment for them. So... Um, again, I don't, I don't do anything. I've, I've got loads of stories I could tell you. Um, I suppose the, the, the one that I shared yesterday, I was doing a, a workshop with um, the sports, sports medicine masters, and uh, we would, I was doing multidisciplinary teams, and um, we're up, we're in tour with Great Britain Academy in New Zealand, and we'd sent the doctor and the conditioner out a year before to make sure everything all the facilities and the hotel and where the training grounding, what does the network look like and everything else and do a lot of fact finding that it was quite accurate. Well, in Christchurch, the walk from the hotel to the training ground was literally 15 minutes, so it was handy. We didn't tire buses, which we thought was safe, but on the walk, all right, we had to walk through Canterbury's red light district. Okay, so... You know, day one, we had a problem with 17-year-old young men. And this is where you need a good moral compass. And now now all those young men are coaching now. I'm still, I've, I've, I've coached them when they were kids. They went on to have great professional careers with being internationals. And now they're all engaging coaching themselves. And believe it or not, we've reconnected. It's brilliant that they've come back for things like that. So, And they, they, they're still genie about that because, Michael, we moved hotels. I wasn't going to have it. So I didn't want to damage my reputation and their lives by them being too giddy around what Red Light -like District looked like, you know, at that time. You know, um, it's just one of those things. So, um, well, every, every single man I've ever come across, what are you doing? 
all right, it's a good opportunity, Michael. And I've always seen them opportunities to show people and articulate, you know, good behaviour and have a good moral compass. Um, and that's just one of many. Um, so I don't, I don't load anything. I just wait for it to happen and then seize it. And I suppose, you know, that the, the IQ of Adams have been around all that for such a long time, coaching, being a professional player. They stand out to me. Those little glitches stand out to me, so I can seize them quite away. Where normally maybe um, maybe a young and experienced coach who, um, who's not lived with the church running sport, it might have to be more of a deliberate approach to do that. And he'd probably need a good mentor to be able to help guide them and things like that. But with me, it was from you know my biographical bio, biographical journey that taught me to to grab those opportunities when they arise and. And make them significant for the young people and around. I really like the that cultural assassin that you mentioned actually, and kind of if they're not coming up naturally, maybe planting it so it does give you an opportunity to address it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a small it's tactic, but could hold value for sure. I mean, what what I did last year was I had an amazing result, really. Um, so we went, we went on a pre-season camp. Everybody has to take a pocket toy. All right, so. You know, I had a little Super Bowl. You could bounce and stuff like that. And some people bought silly size stuff that they couldn't carry everywhere with them because you needed to be able to carry it everywhere with you. That was one of the points. Okay. Now, if you didn't have that toy on you at any point, I asked, all right, there was a price to pay. All right, so we're in Wales and it was in the winter and it was a dip in the sea and naked run in the sea. Okay. Um, again, there was, there was consequences for you not looking after this ball. But in each dormitory, I planted an assassin. Okay. So if any toy was left out, he'd nab it and give it to me. Okay. So straight away, it was like, there's some epic sod stealing stuff here. Where's my toy at? Trying to go in berserk, trying to find it. And then they, would, then they started to regulate you. Where's your toy? Where's your job? Turn the light off. Do this, do that. So just a little tiny thing like that, I could tell you so many horrible stories uh, that were created amongst the group. Do you understand what I mean? So tiny things like that, little tools like that. Um, of course, nobody wants to go in a cold sea with no clothes on. Um, so yeah, they used to, and, and then they started to look after each other's toy. They pick some, if there's a toy left, they pick it up and give it back to each other. Then that became a sock, it became a kit, it became an equipment, it became a door, it became the lights, it became rubbish. All right, it became how you entered the training training area and left it tidy. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Tight, and it just escalated from there and worked to treat. So uh, we go again in January somewhere else, and I've got another trick for them. Um, the, the, a friendly way of starting to develop um, those interactions amongst the group where they start to regulate each other's behavior. Um, yeah. I've got, I've got a big repertoire of them, Michael, because as much as I have about the drills and, and games that I play, so I have been doing it a long time. Perhaps writing a book one day might help everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just think it's a really nice way, as you said, of easing it in and actually, rather than being, here are your jobs, I'm going to be the one that manages it. It's yeah. actually, okay, we're going to start with something really small and really simple, and that will be our end goal, is that yeah. actually when we, give you a task or whatever that may be for making sure we've got match kit 
you're not going to forget it because you understand the importance of the little details and what that adds up to. So I just think it's a really nice, almost, as you said, gamified way of teaching them the importance of it. Well, Michael, it works. I've got your back. You've got mine. Do you know what I mean? Because if, if I hadn't and you knew and someone took something of mine to, to mess, the, mess the group up and they had, they had a price to pay, you'd, uh, you're letting me down. So, you know, it's I've got your back, you've got mine. Isn't that a team? Yeah. And have you seen that translate to more, I guess, visible slash vocal leaders? Because I'd imagine if by holding each other account, I think one thing that gets highlighted more in modern society is people saying there's no leaders anymore. We don't see anyone on the pitch. My argument would be, I think it's just different the way leadership is manifested now to what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. But yeah. do you see that? Um, become more visual, more vocal with with those groups that you do this type of work with. Yeah, yeah. so you, I those architects start to flourish and thrive and want to contribute. They, they naturally emerge. You, you know, there's some things they might because of the disposition and the personalities. They might not always uh, jump out and take control without a nudge. Um, and then once it's been done, they know that's their job as well. Uh, but generally, you know, straight from the camp, you know, they start to to, to flourish and thrive and, and look for ways to contribute to other people's experiences. Um, quite often, I'll, you know, and I'll stop them at different points and I'll say, you know, Michael, you know, who who influenced your, your session the most today? What Which one of your peers influenced your session? And if so, what did they contribute? What did they adjust that's left you with some you know, uh, really good fond memories of this session today. You know what I mean? Um, just, does that make sense? And yeah, and then then they'll say, yeah, well, you know, um, Henry helped me with with this. I was confused a little bit. And, and because of the game and the intensity and the speed of everything, I never had a chance to ask a question. And he saw I was struggling and he just grabbed me. And then I turned to Henry and say, isn't that wonderful that someone's going home in the car thinking about you like that? So it's celebrated as well that you know um, and you nurture that within them within them as well it doesn't have to be a deliberate thing um, and and then you know when it gets ugly and messy and you've got your darker darker skilled athletes uh, that, that come from you know that have a bit of dark darkness in them that they'll, they'll rise up when it gets ugly and messy and do a job um, and to be fair but they don't often need a nudge all right they'll fix them up themselves if there's something that shouldn't be done. Um, so there, two, two of my players, and I know he won't mind me saying it because I've told his mum how proud I have him, a young man called Lewis Hall last year, he's now moved to Australia, um, full of surprises. Um, a new player came in and uh, he hadn't been on their journey pre-season. It was still quite early on in the season and he had a good reputation. He was from a big club and they had a fisticuffs in training. Okay. Um, during a conditioning session, they fell out with each other and, and blows were exchanged. So, you know, straight away, everybody carry on. And then they just, when they got out of breath, they stopped and then jumped back in the session and finished it off. Um, <laughs> that's, and, it, and, and, and I hope I don't put anybody off rugby league, but that, it happens. And the best way to do it is with humour, um, which I had loaded up afterwards anyway. Um, but Lewis, I was really thought, this, this isn't right, this, because it's because of the type of person he is. 
And um, so the new guy came up to me and he was really, really upset and apologised and it should never happen. So don't worry about it. See you at the next session. Off you go. And but to Lewis, I just went, what was all that about? And she said, shoot, he's cutting corners and what have you. Everybody knows he's cutting corners and what have you. So I, I told him, all right, we don't do that here. And then if they got in, he was embarrassed about me telling him in front of everybody and pushed me. So I belted him. All right, we don't do that here. And so I, I, um, I rang the young man the following day and I said, listen, I've got, you know, I verified it with a little some of the other lads did it. And they said, um, you know, who wasn't on his own that saying you're cutting corners and the kid put the phone down on me and never come back. Am I bothered? Not one bit. You know, so, um, and Lewis is a rough house and he won't stand any nonsense. And he never, and he'd always sought out anybody who was, um, tasting in the other team. I don't have to instruct them to target him. People like Lewis do it themselves. Um, because the environment, they're allowed to mess up. I told his mum and, mum and dad about it and they were so proud they had that integrity that we were missing it during training. And he, he regulated it himself. It didn't go well and it's not good to do that. But I've not a problem with it because he defended uh, some of our values um, without anybody prompting him and he never and, he, and it's still the same now when he plays and that was what was going to be my next point is actually as a coach that's kind of the the gold standard in terms of the players managing the values of the group themselves <laughs> and holding each other to account so whilst you said yeah the, the, the way did it may not be the way actually what you've done is challenge someone who's new who might be we think adds value in a playing capacity but it's like, actually, if you're not going to fit into the culture we've created, that's more important to us than what you can bring and, you know, making making that a focus, which I think is a, a real positive. I, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure people can have an argument against it, but, you know, I'm not bothered. There's no badges on the wall and it was pretty easy to do and the, 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 our model works um, because, the, you know, a young man was defend, prepared to defend, defend it with, uh, with physicality, um, if needed be. Um, tried dialogue and arbitration to start with, but it wasn't working. Um, that's the way it turned out. So I think that's a win for us and what we were trying to be able to achieve. And how do you get that to mirror across multiple age groups? And so not so much first team, because I appreciate obviously you can you can mirror that goes down. But if you if you're working with maybe 14s, 15s, 16s, 18s, how do you ensure that that pathway, I guess, is carried across all of those age groups? So we linking back to what we... you can't you couldn't take that down below without moderation. Um, they need this, the, 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 you know, the, the level, that level of of knowledge framework and intellect building over a period of time. So. Um, you can't take that and drop it on an under-12s team, certainly not. Definitely not on under-14s team. And when they get to post-maturation and, and relate, and they understand of a, the, 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 you know, the friends group of a, of, a, of, a, of a variety of people in front of them, and, you know, there's some neurodiversity there. And, you know, they're not, they're not able to, to or they haven't built up enough uh, emotional intelligence to really understand uh, what stood in front of them. So, you know, um, what it looks like um, at probably under 12s is just collaboration and, and ensuring that they're collaborating and ensuring they can have a sensible debate without falling out and then look for reason 
and might even follow up with some research, which is just asking you a question, Michael. You know, can you clarify this? Have I got this wrong? Um, but so you've got to encourage that, that, that them interactions and your games should encourage those interactions between each other and the problems you set within the games encourage collaboration. Um, so they start to build up that EQ um, over a period of time. And then again, some of them can't engage because of the neurodiversity, you know, the barriers. Um, so, you know, you couldn't drop that model any further down, but it does prepare them for what's waiting on the corner for them when they become full-time professionals or semi-professionals, wherever they've moved to. That, um, you know, you don't cut corners. And, uh, and if you do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about it. Right, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting what you can do to put foundations in that allow you to do it. So, you know, if it is like you're there, just having a healthy debate, actually, can we encourage that within our under 12s where they're willing to challenge one another, but understand that it's maintains respect and mm -hmm. that actually we're ultimately doing it because we want what's best for the group. If that's what it looks like for another 12, then that's what you can drip feed into a session. They won't they won't have a heat heated debate and perhaps the most confident kid in the under 12s will dominate the the shy disengaged kids. But as soon as you start, you won't know that until you start to hit them with problem after problem. And it's just like, right, there's the field guys. You've got to get that ball from there to 10 meters off that try line and they're going to stop you. Go and have a chat on how you're going to do it. All right. And you've got, you've only got five tackles and a kick to do it. And then you just listen in. All right. And then let them mess up. Okay. And then when they master it, you do something with the defensive team. So you, you constrain it. So they've got to start finding new emergent skills. So they've got to reflect on it again. And then by that time, you've got a bit of an idea then who, who are the, the, the who, who likes that game, who can contribute most to it in terms of strategies and collaboration. They're all playing a part. And then then you say, right, okay, now I'm going to give that challenge to this shy, disengaged young person that um, needs to start to be able to contribute to a group. And, um, and again, you just like the, like the fuse. Um, but again, you know, you got to have that more good moral compass, and you've got to when you when you're watching them develop those interactive skills and the communication skills and the leadership skills that um, you're careful that there's nothing sinister or or deviant taking place because they do have them, kids have them, and you've just got to make sure you keep an eye on that. Perfect. So I think linking to back to what you said then, how does that change? Um, when you come from like an academy environment with younger players to then when you're in obviously a, a men's environment, a man environment in those first teams. Um, and did that change you much as a practitioner kind of going from those development environments into that mm -hmm. first team space? I mean, the, the, you know, the, the adults are already developed, aren't they? And if, you know, and if someone's done a good job of them, you, you've got to inherit some good works, aren't you? Um, but you know, elite sport and professional sports all about task. Is going to contribute to the performance which they're after. They are all about winning. It is about that. While you you take a lot of pressure off them during training, okay, in terms of you know putting all the building blocks in place that are going to be able to do that well, okay. Though you know a micro level, you know, say the whatever you're working on, you know, you might cover four or five things in a session all the way physical recovery and everything else you need to be able to do you know they've um, you know the challenges within that can still look the same okay there's a task 
you need to be able to help them manoeuvre them. What did you see? They, they, you know, and again, but how it works is that um, you know you can, you've got internationals that you're dealing with as well, aren't you? You're more, more to the teams that have coached, so um, we show them the framework. This is we've got the big picture. This is how how they've been out manoeuvred. This is where they're vulnerable. Um, and then on Thursday, uh, we get the detail from them. So we have working groups. Um, and again, the, 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 within that group as well, there might be four or five pods where they've researched and researched themselves and they'll come up with some some micro skills and some micro things that where they think they could actually catch them out or outmanoeuvre when they've got the ball. And then we build that in as well. So, um, yeah, we have to know it ourselves, but... Um, you know they do. You know we've got you know people like Brodie Croft who we have at Salford in, in the team who's been in some great places. So he's like your he's like your Lionel Messi if you like. Uh, you're not going to ignore him. You know he comes up with some very valuable stuff, and that's all added into what the final sessions and preparations can look like. So co-creation, collaboration, teamwork. You know does it represent the main way we're going to be able to to produce stuff? Uh, are we being honest? You know, we're not taking any shortcuts. Um, and they do that themselves by then as well. So there's no, you know, um, everybody, you know, that there's an acceptance of, 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 of you know, how everybody is um, and their, their, their culture um, is everything. Um, and how they conduct themselves with lateness or any shortcuts that are done or any mishaps that have, 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 have taken place. They do all that themselves and that's already in place. Um, while it's a very, very stressful job, you're constantly under pressure, the sort of principles are still the same, Michael. Okay, particularly the stuff that, you know, on the grass that we love doing um, in terms of providing problems and games for them to solve uh, by using some of our our processes. So, yeah, um, you know, more process than magic, really. So, you know, that's not really any different. It's just developed and... Uh, done properly and if they're not right they tell you you know what I mean you're hurting us we're not doing it you know uh, you can't you know everybody thinks oh let's get on the piss they don't, you know no, I won't go and pick my kids up from school I love the school run you know what I mean they do that's what they're like you know it's got to be If it's, what we're doing this for why are we doing it is it going to be beneficial to us you know so they will question it because there's a the, the, the life away from what we're doing is important as well that needs to flourish as well and have you had any particular examples where um, individuals have challenged the, um, I guess, the collective culture of the group that you've had to step in or where, you know, the group is saying he's being late or whatever that looks like, but performances on a performance basis, you know, they're high performing, which then creates a challenge of do I reprimand a high performer, which might then you know fix the culture but not the performance have you any uh, had any particular examples of that yeah it happens all the time one club um they made a, a major signing and um after a bit of time the um and this has happened a few times in different ways um, the, the the players came to um the coaching staff and just said he's not for us get him out well, why have you done this? Yeah, we've done that. Won't respond. Have you done it? We've hit him with that. Won't respond. It's not one of us. You know, um, and his form's good. All right. But no, it's not. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to end bad. 
you won't get rid of him now. Um, and that happened. He went off somewhere else. It was really, really when, and the coach told him to, we're not letting you go, the lads don't want you. And you got to remember this club had won a lot of trophies in a short period of time and it really, really hurt him. But fixed him. And he went on to have a great career. And was a good international. Played in a couple of World Cups. Really good. But that was a really, really big turning point in his life. Being rejected by his peers. I think that's a nice, um, almost nice end to say the fact that actually you've provided the rationale to why as well. So mm. it'd be very easy just to push him out the door and say, thanks for coming, see you later. But actually to say, listen, just so you're aware on your next step, this is what the feedback we had was. And this is part of the reason why we've made this decision. Mm. Um, and it must be powerful for him as as a player to receive that. Must be powerful. And, and, and the, the the lads that did it are, are, are you know now out there as being absolutely you know wonderful people. You know they're in the press all the time for running lots of marathons. Um, you know just incredible bunch of men that what they couldn't take and because he would he had his micro cultures weren't aligned um, and poor research was done on him. So when they do sign somebody at that level, Michael, the research is really intense. Does he match what we're doing? Um, and like Roy Keane at Man United, who was a cultural architect, he soon became a cultural assassin and had to go. And you, sometimes you have to do that when the environment changes because of age injury, injury profile and, um, and another part of that, that person starts to influence the, the environment and the culture in a wrong way. So, um, you know, at that level, it, it's magnified. There's nothing can sneak through under the radar, Michael. It's that tight and the lads want it that tight as well. Um, so as soon as it's a glitch, you know, it just, it just stands out. And do you think that's why um, those teams that tend to have success tend to have a spine that are there for a period because actually they're the ones that are able to define the culture of what they want it to be and yeah. people that come into it the old acronym is fitting or type of deal where actually we've been successful we know this works either buy into it or you're not for us and that's fine yeah. I mean the best example is the book Legacy uh, it was a catastrophe Um that was a long task of it. it took 12 years of catastrophe with the All Blacks. And then a consortium of really, really ex-All Black top coaches got together and said, right, let's sort this out once and for all. What Historically, let's buckle that. What did we do? Now, if that's where it takes. Okay. And while they might not have that, that immense success that they had internationally, okay, um, in terms of winning stuff, which is all about the international level, particularly what they do, um, they are world champions of culture, um, and I think that I think that brand for New Zealand and the All Blacks is how can I put it? Probably the best trophy they've ever won. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, and and yes, everything else has speeded up. You know, Argentina are great now. Um, Italy are knocking off teams, so you know perhaps they never ever get back to that dominance that they had, Michael. But I don't think anybody can ever touch them in terms of you know being the world champions of culture. And I think, like you said there, which is really interesting, it almost amplifies then to what does your grassroots team do? 
Because mm. if we know that that's our end goal and you're saying to yeah. me at 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 years old, you want to be an all black, you know there's kind of some level of non-negotiables of how you conduct yourself mm. if that's what you want your goal to be. Now, again, what it looks like at 10 is very different and the mind is going to change that. But the humility of being a decent person, that doesn't change. And you can influence that in the games you design, the collaboration, the tasks you set them. You know what I mean? You're not looking for, you know, that steely archetype that plays in that all-black senior shirt. You're looking at someone who can, you know, get somebody's back, support them with an idea, show some enthusiasm and commitment, all right? Come up with an intelligent response. You can cultivate all that within the games that you design right down at that junior level, all right? You can start to sow the seeds that it's, you know, it's not me, it's we. And, um, yeah, I'm with you on this. And the games that we design... Um, you know, and the problems that they've got to be able to solve, um, you know, that's what takes place at 10. It's, it's the same principles, but it just looks much softer and friendlier for, for all those different dazzles. Sorry, that's my wife bringing me, gentlemen. Um, no worries. Yeah. Um, Do you want me to pause it quick? Well, no, it's fine. Um, I'll call her back when we've finished. Cool. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to ask one last question, then we'll be done anyway. Yeah, so. No problem. Um, so, yeah, I guess last question for me, and we haven't touched on any real coaching stuff, so we'll have to do another one again of these later down the line because there'll be loads of design-type stuff that you'll, you'll be able to touch upon. But who's the um, most impressive individual you've worked with in this kind of, I guess, it's leadership, cultural architect-type space and why? Well, there's just so many. Um, it's, it's, it, they all bring different things to different environments. And, you know, because the environments are so complex and nuanced, Michael, all right, um, you know, that helps mould and shape how they are as people. Um, and they, before you know it, they're, they're a product of that environment and they've, they've developed these characteristics and now they've left a legacy. Um, you know, every club I've ever been at has had them or a number of them. That, um, that have taken place. So, yeah, the, the, the environment's right that's created by, you know, the hierarchy of the club, the coaches, and everything else, and the talent development pathways that they come through. That they come through. Um, these people will embed a lot of the things that you want from a leader, um, and then become leading characters within the organisation. And then the end of the process, they've actually, you know, left a legacy of a certain type of behaviours. For, for those to pick up and, and, and shape and mould themselves upon. So I'd, I'd love to name one, but every single one of them has had, had, had a difficult challenge. Uh, in, in fact, if I did, if I did, I'm going to do it. Um, uh, Sean, Sean O'Loughlin, during the time at Wigan, I think he's coaching there now. Um, he, he, he was the, the coach, he was, sorry, he was, he was the, 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 the captain of Wigan when he won a good team when he was fighting off relegation, all right? Now, was he shaped and moulded by his predecessors? predecessors? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, even though he's, he, he, later on in his career, when things picked up, he picked up some trophies. I was really pleased for Sean because he did it when he was messy and ugly and there was backs to the wall and brilliant. Perfect. This is Stuart. Really appreciate your time. As I said, then we'll definitely catch up again for another one of these, but appreciate your time and catch up with you again soon. All right. No problem, Michael. Thanks for everything.
Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.